let's turn in our Bibles this morning. We're going to go, uh, as we have over the last little while, to uh, a few different places in Scripture, but the first one we're going to go to is Exodus 33. Uh, Exodus 33, and we're just going to read a few verses of Scripture here, and I think for all of us, um, over the last little while, uh, I have been preaching on the glory of the Lord, and I hope that at least to some extent you've been able to extract from that that God has a desire to reach down and touch His people, uh, that He wants to descend upon us in a glorious way, uh, and that we can actually take hold of His glory, that we can sense His glory, we can be changed by His glory. Uh, and uh, obviously going back a couple of weeks, that very first message, we didn't, the recording didn't quite go as planned, uh, so that one's, that one's history. But uh, nonetheless, we, we kind of just took some time to define a little bit about what it is that the Bible talks about when it uh, talks about glory, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, there are a couple of different words for the word, or for the word, our English word glory, that are translated there, but the one that we really went after is one that can be t- defined as a weight, that that heaviness of the glory of God can descend upon a place. It can be both positive, it can be negative. Uh, either way, it is one of those things that when the glory of God comes, uh, and, and last week we talked about how the weight of the glory of God appeared in the midst of sin, to, uh, to deal with the sin of those who had rebelled against Moses and Aaron. That uh, not only is it a weight, but also there is splendor, brilliance, brightness, light, uh, that kind of glory, that there is this uh, brilliance of His glory. There is this radiance of the glory of God. Often we would see it in the Bible, or in the, especially in the Old Testament, this radiance of of, of the glory of God when God descended in, in the desert uh, in the book of Exodus and in numbers and places where the, He would come down to the people uh, and on the mountain. And then even in the New Testament, we see this brilliance and this radiance at the transfiguration of Jesus. We see it uh, in another place where Jesus appears to Saul of Tarsus as He is on His way. Uh, to go persecute more Christians, and it changed his life. The glory of God can absolutely change your situation and your circumstance. There is, and, uh, and also part of that definition uh, really brought us to what our pursuit has been through this series, and this series more than likely possibly will be coming to an end next week. I'll start on a low note, and hopefully we'll end on a high note. We're going to deal with some passages in Scripture that uh, are, are going to be a challenge, I think, to all of us that we need to desire the glory of God. Uh, but that element of uh, the definition of the glory of God is that where God dwells with His people, that He descends in such a way that the, you, you understand that God is in this place. We see that both in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. In fact, one of the things in the New Testament that I haven't really touched on, I haven't really, we haven't talked about much, 
is that when the disciples, after they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, received that the Spirit of God and the, they were filled with the Spirit, the Bible says that the, the religious leaders of the day who knew the law, they knew the Old Testament Scriptures, said, we confess this, that they're unlearned men, but they are men who have been with Jesus. If there was one thing that could be spoken about your life, a testimony about you, about who you are as an individual, if it could just be that one thing that they were people who have been with Jesus, I think that would be wonderful enough. That would be wonderful and glorious about our lives that somebody else could recognize their individuals who have been with Jesus. But today, I want to just share with you a little bit about what's on my heart, about the glory of God not being defined, but the glory of God being desired. The glory of God being desired. And I know of no other way to do this than to take you to some of those individuals, a couple of those individuals in the Bible that we see that seemingly from their actions desired the glory of God. Uh, listen, you may go through life and say, Pastor, what I need from God right now is I need an answer to prayer. You know, I need God to physically heal me. I need God to financially provide for me. I need God to do something today that I can't do for myself. And I'm not setting that aside. I'm not making anything less of that. I just simply want to say that sometimes... If we can just say, God, I want you for who you are, then as we, we reach out to him and as he comes with his presence and he dwells in our lives, and maybe it is in a prayer closet, he begins to dwell in that place and you begin to sense the glory and the power and the might of God, you recognize that you are serving and praying to a God who can do anything. He can, he can minister to your need. He can help you in your physical infirmity. He can help you in your pain. He can help you in your struggle. He can help you in whatever it is. We need the glory of God. And today it may be your desire for God to do something else. Hopefully by the end of this meeting, I would love for us all to say it is our desire for the glory of God to descend, not just in our services, which so desperately needed, not just in our, our local assembly, but in our everyday lives. Some of you, you take the train to work. And on that train, you can commune with God. And right there amidst unbelievers and people who are talking to themselves and having conversations with themselves and they're a little bit out there, you can sense the presence and the glory of God. Some of you drive to work right there in your car in the morning rather than having a conversation with the, you know, the sports radio program. You can have a conversation with Almighty God and say, God, you can do mighty things in my life and you can sense the glory and the power and the might of God. When I began to think about this particular subject and this theme as it relates to today, the glory of God being desired. And last week we talked about and just described a little bit of the glory of God and, and what took place as in, in different situations where the glory of God came down, coming down in response to sin and specifically rebellion, the glory of God coming down in response to, to prayer and supplication. God comes down in the midst of all of that 
but I want to bring it more less to a, a general sense and more to an individual sense. I want us today to understand a little bit of the glory of God and how it is that we must desire God to do great and mighty things. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 7 through 11, I want us to read and take a look at this reading from the NIV today. The Bible says this. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud st uh, standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11 is vitally important. This is the individual. When I began to think about those in Scripture that had desired the presence of God, the first person that jumped into my mind was Joshua. I know a lot of times we talk about Joshua. We associate him with, obviously, the book that bears his name, the book that also talks about his leading the people of Israel into the promised land. We talk about Joshua and Jericho and Joshua and Ai and Joshua and all of the conquest of the promised land. But there is something in this area here that we see about Joshua's heart. And I really think it's one of the reasons why Joshua was chosen to be the leader after Moses. And it is this. The Bible says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, listen to this, did not leave the tent. Joshua, his young aide, did not leave the tent the tent. There was, in that scene that we just read, there was a visible manifestation of the glory of God coming down as Moses would enter this tent. This tent, though it's called the tent of meeting, and, and so was the, the big tent, the tabernacle that housed the Ark of the Covenant. This was a different tent that was also called the tent of meeting, but this was a separate one. It was set up outside the camp. And it was specifically there for Moses to go and to enter that tent and commune with God. You see, Moses, was, though he was of the household of Levi, he was not set apart as a priest like his brother Aaron was. But Moses went into this place and the Bible says all of a sudden the people would stand. When he would go out to have his time with God, the people would stand in the, the place of their tents and they would worship. At the doorway to their own house, they would worship as they saw Moses going out to this tent. Now, there was somebody who was going along beside of, uh, side of him, and it was Joshua, his young aide. Just a young man. He was in as old as Moses. He was a younger guy. And he's walking out there and he's seeing there's an obvious visible manifestation of the glory of God settling down upon that tent. 
And Moses goes in. And Moses comes back out after spending time with God. And you would think, okay, you know, Joshua's out there checking his watch. Man, you know, come on, can we get this thing on? Can we get just, you know, I'm getting hungry here, Moses. This is, you know, you're taking a really long time in there. And then he comes out. And, you know, for most of us, it's whoop, all done. Let's go home. All finished. But there was something there in the heart of Joshua that desired what went on inside that tent. And the Bible says here, that the Bible says in verse 11, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. There was a desire inside this young man for the glory and the power of God to come upon his life. Brothers and sisters, can I encourage you and tell you today that there has to be within our hearts a desire for the glory of God, for us to experience the glory of God. Maybe somebody has told you about an experience that they had with God, and they tell you about it, and you think, well, that'll never happen to me. Rather than sitting there saying, that's never going to happen to me, let it spark something within you. To say, Lord, I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to go after you. I want more of you than I have ever had before. Brothers and sisters, God is ready and willing to meet you at the point of your need. If you will, you will come to him and say, Lord, I desire to have you. I need to have you. I want your glory in my life. I want you to come down into my life in such a mighty and a powerful way. That man showed desire. He showed that he wanted what God had in store for his life. There wasn't something in him that said, well, that's only for Moses. That's not for me. Oh, listen, I got to tell you, if there is anything that we see in Scripture, it is that we see the glory of God will come upon the life that desires to have the glory of God. And we will also see this, that those who do not desire to have his power and his glory in your life, guess what? You will get exactly what you want. It's like the old saying, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And i got to tell you, if you aim at absolutely nothing in your life, if you don't aim for the glory of God, then there will be no glory in your life. If there is nothing, if you are going after nothing, you're going to get nothing. But if you're going after the glory of God, you've got to know today that the power of God will come down in your life. The glory of God will minister in you, in you, and in your situation. And He will descend upon your life in a mighty way. But there has to be something within us that says, Lord, I've got to have you more than I've got to have whatever my, you know, my Twitter account says. I've got to have you more than whatever my, you know, I've got to hang out with my friend while we're texting. And that, that's, you know, that's become our way of communicating. I don't knock it, but I don't defend it either. You know, I use it for some, some things. You just, it's easier to just a quick text and there it is. It's done. But part of the problem is, is we don't we don't get to, you know, face-to-face with, with people as much anymore. We don't get into their presence. So sometimes I wonder if maybe we're not bringing that a little bit into our relationship with God. Some of you are trying to text God. <laughs> I, God can read your texts, but trust me, 
He doesn't want to have to sit there and make sense out of all the mumbo-jumbo that you're you know, putting in there. He, look, brothers and sisters, he wants to commune with you. He wants to talk to you. Hang out at the entrance of the tent of meeting for a little bit and say, God, I want to just be with you. There is no possible way for you to have the kind of relationship with God that you need to have by just these short, interjectory kind of meetings. <laughs> I, I don't know how well it works. I can't imagine it works very well, apparently. And I don't know too much about it, so please. I, I'm, I'm sort of venturing into an area and speaking about something that I know very little about, which is probably not the best thing for me to be doing from the pulpit at this point. But there's this thing. Have you ever heard of speed dating? Right? People go around the room, and you have, what, I don't know, five minutes, you know, and, and you sit down at a table, you talk to somebody, and then you shift. You know, it's kind of rotate like in volleyball. You know, you, you rotate, and, and, and then you talk to the next person. That just is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Really, you, how can you possibly have anything meaningful come out of anything like, well, there's a connection Connection, schmiction. I, I, you know what, brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, God wants to create a connection. He's not interested in speed dating. He's not interested in speed relationships. He is interested in you coming into His presence and saying, "God, I've got to have more and more of you." You say, "Well, I don't. You know, I don't really have time to hang out in the tent of meeting the way Joshua did. I don't have time." to hang out. Oh, yes, you do. you got all kinds of time in the world to sit in front of that television. Don't tell me you don't have time. you got all kinds of time to go and do whatever, hang out on Facebook and, you know, write all kinds of ridiculousness there. You've got all kinds of time to do all that kind of stuff. Don't tell me you don't have time. You have time. Thank you for those amens. I don't need to do anything further with that. That was wonderful. You are at, you know what, brothers and sisters, God wants to spend time with us. He wants to be with us. And there was a desire in this young man, in this, this man, Joshua, who we know is a mighty warrior, but sometimes we, you know, we get the view of Moses as being the guy who's always talking to God. He's always in God's presence. But you know what, with this, I read this one verse, I don't know when it was, years ago, that it hit me like a ton of lead, that Joshua just wanted to hang out in the presence of God. If there is a, the best place that you could possibly hang out, it's in his presence. To, to commune with God, to talk to God, to get a hold of God. You see, we've got to desire the glory of God. If you desire the glory of God, God will come down in your life. He will minister to you. He will help you. He will strengthen you. I remember there was a time in my life where I was going through this years ago. Before I was married, there was, there was a time in my life where I, I had just sort of come through some difficulties. And I, I don't remember specifically even what those difficulties were. I just remember the solution. And the solution was amazing. I got to tell you, I don't remember what the things were. I can't, even at the moment that I'm talking to you, I'm trying to think of what it was that I had gone through or the things that I've been, I can't remember what those were. But I remember this. I remember one day I was listening to a song in my car by, <laughs> you might now, you're in North Carolina now. You might have heard this name. Charles Johnson and the Revivers. No, they're from Albemarle, North Carolina. You got to look them up. 
there, there was this one song that all of a sudden came across on my, this will date me, my cassette deck in the car. <laughs> and for those of you who remember eight tracks, <laughs> that takes you back even further. But I was listening to this tape in the car, and, and all of a sudden this song came across. And I began to weep, and I began to weep, and I began to weep. And then I get into my apartment back at, the, back at Zion. When I was there, I, began to, I got into my apartment, and I opened up and began to open up in the Bible in different places where it talks about how Jesus died for us. Isaiah 53, I went there and began to just read Isaiah 53 and all the sufferings, all that he went through. I kept crying, I kept crying and weeping. I went to Isaiah 6 and I began to read about the glory of God coming down in Isaiah's life and how it changed him and how it molded him and shaped him. And for this went on for days. I remember on one occasion, I remember reading one verse of Scripture over and over and over again. And every single day, that one verse of Scripture just fed my spirit. It fed my soul. And I would weep every time I read it. I would just get into the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, there are times, listen, if you're reaching out for more of the glory of God, He'll descend upon you. Say, is it supposed to happen that way? Do I have to be all that emotional? You know, I'm not the cryy kind of person. Look, I, you know what? Whatever kind of individual you are, God wants to make you better. Don't, don't sit there and say, I'm not this way, I'm not that way. Who cares how you are? It's who God wants to make you to be when his glory descends upon your life. Joshua had not be become yet quite the leader that he was supposed to be, but I believe it was time in the presence of God that changed his life to make him what God wanted him to be. Brothers and sisters, we've got to desire the glory of God. Now I want you to go to another place and find somebody else in Scripture. Uh, we're going to go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. I don't have the time to read this entire thing, but I want to talk to you a little bit about David. If there is anybody else in the Old Testament who typifies and shows somebody who really desired the presence of God, it was David. Probably more than anybody else. In fact, he was the standard by which all other kings that came after him were measured. Because the Bible either says about the king that they walked in the ways of their father David, or it says they did not walk in the ways of their father David. So David essentially is the gold standard, but he desired David not just to experience the glory of God, which we know he did, but David took it a little bit further. He brought us a little bit more of a revelation of what the glory of God is for. What it should accomplish in us. And it should accomplish a desire to let the glory of God come through us. You see, any blessing that you have spiritually today is not for you to walk out and just sit there and say, man, I feel so blessed today, but when somebody wants to know what's going on in your life, we talk about anything and everything else but what God is doing in our lives. You say, well, unbelievers aren't going to understand it. So, who really cares? Sometimes that may be the first introduction to what it is that God desires to do in their lives. In fact, David desired to declare the glory of God. Joshua shows us how, what it means to desire to experience the glory of God, but David 
through his writings, through his psalms, and through what took place here in 1 Chronicles, actually 15 and 16, both chapters. We don't have time to read both chapters, but we're going to read just a few verses of chapter 16. But the context of all of this was David bringing the ark up to Jerusalem. At that time, it had been in the presence of a family by the name, a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, his house had been blessed. There had been a, a, a tent set up for him uh, or for the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was, was that place where, where we understand that it was known as the mercy seat. They really believed, they believed that God, that was like a throne for him in the Holy of Holies. The cherubim that he sat between, the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. I, brothers and sisters, it was the absolute symbol of the presence of God. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this next week, God willing, how it was that they lost sight of the God of the ark and only put it on the ark, put their desire on the ark. We're going to deal with that at a later time. But David saw how important it was for the ark of the covenant to have a resting place in the capital city, the city of Jerusalem, that he would eventually make Jerusalem the capital after Hebron had been the capital And now he is bringing up the ark. He had made an attempt a couple of chapters earlier. And that attempt, they had done it in a way that was irreverent before God. And the Bible says that Uzzah, a man by the name of Uzzah, reached out as the ark was being brought up on a cart. It wasn't supposed to be carried on a cart. And the ark began to wobble and Uzzah just reached out and just touched the ark to try to steady it and instantly dropped dead. David was so stricken, but then David began to read the law of how the ark was supposed to be carried. It was supposed to be carried by priests, put the poles through the rings on the side and hoisted up on their shoulders and carried in a manner that was respectful of the presence and the glory of God. And as that ark is coming up, we know the the story here, it it kind of brings us to a place before we're going to read. The story brings us to a place of David being so overjoyed with the fact that, that, that the ark was coming into Jerusalem and coming up into that place, that the Bible says he danced before the Lord with all his might. He just lets loose and he has a, has a hoedown. He is so happy. He is so joyful and praising God and worshiping God. And his wife looks out at him. The Bible says that she despised him. In her heart. She afterwards, she said, you know, David, how was it? You were dancing around out there half naked in front of all of Israel. The Bible lets us know that God defended David, not this woman's seeming propriety. Instead, he stands for David, who is so overjoyed, so, so desiring of the, the glory of God and the presence of God in the midst of his people, that then he begins to pen a psalm, a psalm that we read almost in its entirety. And I'm not going to read the entire thing, but in 1 Chronicles, let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and let's just look at verse 24. And I want you to see what David writes 
and listen to what he says. And this is all within the context of what David is doing to bring the ark and the visible presence, the sign of the presence of God among his people, bringing the ark into Jerusalem. The Bible says this. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Notice that. Declare His glory. You see, there is more to the idea of the glory of God coming down in your life and touching your life than you just sort of sitting and saying, Woo, I really felt goosebumps today. I really felt that somehow there was just something that happened in the service. But what is it for? You see, the Holy Spirit didn't descend upon the disciples so that the disciples could go out into the streets and and look at each other and say, wasn't that a great meeting? Woo! Had a good time. The Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples so they could go out. And the Bible says, as Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses. David says here, declare the glory of God. It is not for you and I to just sort of sit on and say, well, we had a wonderful meeting. Who cares about what kind of meeting we had? Did it change your life to the point where you are willing now to open your mouth for the kingdom of God and for God who has touched your life? Are you willing to open your mouth on His behalf in the presence of those who don't believe like you do? You say, well, then, you know, I don't know what's going to happen then. I will tell you what, what will happen then. When you declare the glory of God, it might just be that somebody else will say, I need that glory. But say, Pastor, that doesn't happen very often these days. You know, let's get real. There's really a lot of ridicule out there. There's really a lot of that. Yes, there is. So what are we supposed to do? Shut our mouths and cower in a corner until Jesus comes? I don't think that's what the Bible is telling us to do at all. I think it is to declare the glory of God. And those who will follow will follow. And those who won't, they won't. But your job and my job is declare the glory of God. Let's look at verses, uh, verses 28 and 29. He says it again. He says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And then in verse 35, the Bible says this, Cry out, save us, O God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name so that we may glory in your praise. That word in verse 35, that word that is used for glory, uses a different Hebrew word than what we've already defined. And it is a word that indicates praise of God, listen to this, to be transmitted from one generation to the next. In other words, it's not so that we just sort of sit by and quietly follow God. It is so that now we come to the place where we are able to communicate to the generation that is coming after us what God has done and how we can praise Him and glorify Him. And they need to do that as well. 
that can only happen when they experience the glory of God. But how, are, how else are they going to experience the glory of God unless we have experienced the glory of God? And unless we declare the glory of God. God has called us to declare His glory. He has called us to do something that is beyond what we have, have an understanding of. Sometimes we just think it's just so I feel good and I can make it through my day. I want to tell you, God wants you to do more than make it through your day. He wants to use you throughout your day. He wants to use you for His kingdom. Also, once the deliverance has occurred, as verse 35 indicates, there is that moment where we glory in praising Him. In other words, we have a sense of how God delivered us, and there is nothing else we would rather do than to give God praise. Maybe it's been a while since you thought about what it was that God did for you. Maybe it's been a while since you thought about how God delivered you from sin. How he brought you out of the mess that you were once in. You say, well, pastor, I was pretty successful. I wasn't in a mess. Oh, yes, you were. You were in a mess called sin. See, sin creates a mess no matter how successful according to the world you might be. Whether you sit high atop one of the buildings here in Chicago and you have a, you have a beautiful outlook over the, the city or you are still trying to find your way out of some addiction. It doesn't matter. The mess is called sin. Nothing else. And I want you to know, my friends, that God, when He delivers us, there are the praises of God that we should have upon our lips that will say, God, you've done great and you've done mighty things. Now, that was David. That was Joshua. What about you? You see, you're the next part. You're the next character in this story. It's you. Not anybody else. We could maybe go to some others in Scripture, but you see, it's not a question of whether you really desire the presence of God. It is, we've got to realize the path to glory according to the New Testament. Go now, one final passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You see, we can desire the presence of God, but there are those who say they desire it but don't want to follow after it according to what we see in the book of Romans. Because Romans throws down the, you know, Paul, he just throws down the gauntlet and he says, here's how it is, folks. The path to glory involves one thing. And that's what we see in the New Testament. It's what we see in the life of Jesus. The path of glory is going to involve one thing. And here it is. Suffering. He said, Pastor, I don't want to hear that. I don't want, you don't understand. I, I really don't want to hear about suffering. I want to hear about faith. I want to hear about victory. I want to hear about it all. But didn't this past Tuesday night, we talked a little bit about this, this concept of going through struggles and going through pains. And sometimes, you know, we have this view of victory as if somehow victory is the absence of any, th any kind of suffering. That victory is that I don't ever have to go through pain. That I don't ever have to go through times in my life where I want to give up. 
I don't have to go through times in my life where I'm faced with persecution. I don't want to have to go through times in my life where I have to deal with some of the things that people are saying about me. I don't, I don't want to have to go through all of that. That's victory. No, that's not victory. That's just the absence of trouble. And Jesus let his disciples know, trust me, fellas, in this life you will have afflictions and troubles and trials and difficulties. Romans chapter 8, I want us to see this because Paul seems to indicate that suffering leads to glory. See, am I supposed to invite suffering? No, you don't have to invite it because trust me, folks, it will show up on your doorstep. The Bible says this, verses 17 and 18, Now, if we are the children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, look at this, in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Trust me, folks. I know what suffering feels like. I know what physical suffering feels like. I know what emotional suffering feels like. I know what financial suffering feels like. I know what all of these things feel like. And trust me, at the moment, they hurt. They're, they don't, it's not nice. You don't like it. You, you want to eliminate it. You want to get rid of it. But I have also found that it is through those sufferings that then we come to a place of glory and experiencing God like we have never, ever experienced Him before. Paul indicates here that our suffering is momentary. In another place, he says these light afflictions. They are momentary, folks. According, uh, according to what we see in Scripture, they are but for a moment, but the glory is lasting and it is eternal. And here is something else about that glory. The Bible says it will be revealed in us. Not above us like what was in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, it was only a view that the people had, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. There was that, those times where they saw, as, as Isaiah saw in his vision, when he was called to be a prophet, he saw this, this, this smoke, the, the, the place was filled with smoke. God was dealing with him. He was dealing with his sin, had to get his sin out of the way. There was this, this scene in the Old Testament. It was, it was revealed outwardly. I always get a little worried about those who think they're seeing things in our current generation in the building. God is not looking to reveal necessarily his physical manifestation of his glory in a building. He is looking to reveal it in and through your life. The Bible says that it would be revealed, the glory of God will be revealed in us. That's where the glory needs to be revealed. Say, God, I want you to reveal your glory. Now, wait a minute before you pray that. Understand the path to get there is sometimes not so easy. Because Paul seems to indicate that that path will include a little bit of suffering every now and then. You see, the suffering comes 
And it, it came for Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He, he went through incredible sufferings. But on the other side of the cross, there was a resurrection. I'm getting ahead of myself. Easter's a few weeks away still. But on the other side of the cross, there was the resurrection. That was the glory, and that was the glory that could be revealed in us. We have resurrection power in our lives. You see, the Bible says that He died for our sins, but He was raised for our justification. That is the glory of God. The glory of God is to reveal that in your life, He has done such wonderful things and He has saved you from sin and He has brought you through and He has justified you. Brothers and sisters, you and I today need to take that, be willing to take that path to glory. If it means every now and then we suffer and we don't understand what's going on, we can't quite figure out what the end is of it all. We have to just say, God, you're working something in my life. You want your glory to be revealed in me. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God desires to use you in such a wonderful and a mighty way. But He can't do it in our lives when we're just kind of sitting by taking up space. There has to be a part of us that says, God, I'm going to reach out for more of you. I need more of you in my life. I need you to come and to minister to me. Listen, whatever suffering some of you have already been through, don't look, at it, don't look at it as something separate from your Christianity. Don't look at it as something that is completely separate from, from what God wants to do in your life. God is coming to you through that avenue of suffering. God will minister to you in the midst of your pain. God will help you in the midst of it all. But we've got to say, Lord, I desire your presence. I desire your glory. I want you to come down. I want you to minister to me. I want you to help me. I want you to strengthen me. Can we stand to our feet today?